Welcome to My Two Cents with Keith Beggs from Steadfast Wealth Strategies. In this podcast, we show high-level executives and business owners why comprehensive financial planning and executive bonus structures don't have to be too good to be true. Keith draws on his experience in realistic financial planning, and expert guests share his two cents about academically-based financial planning that you have to hear to believe. Now, on to the show. Hey, everyone. This is Keith Beggs, the founder and CEO of Steadfast Wealth Strategies and the host of the My Two Cents podcast. I want to thank everyone for jumping on and listening again today. Um, got a couple quick hitter or hot topics I want to cover, and then we got a special guest, and we'll do a quick 10-15 minute interview here at the end. Quickly on a personal note, it, it's been a rough week for myself and my family. Uh, my wife's grandmother passed away this week, and so we have been dealing with a, a lot of those things, and my wife is the executor of the estate we found out. And so it just got me thinking about a lot of things that we deal with with clients when we're talking about retirement. And do you have your affairs in order? Do you have a will in place? Have you updated or looked at all your beneficiaries? Right? When was the last time you looked at your beneficiaries on your different IRAs or your different checking accounts? It's important to have those things up to date. It's important to have your will up to date. Have you moved since you did your will? Right? Have you sold or bought property since you've done a will? Those things are important and you want to have those things in place because you don't want your loved ones stressed out and dealing with a lot of things after you're gone. You don't want to be a burden after death on people that you love. And so these are just things that you want to have in order and, and, and in place so that things move smooth, smoothly after you're gone. And it's unfortunate to have to talk about those things. Um, but it is of importance. So if you haven't done any of those things, I would recommend um, that you go look at your will, uh, read it, um, see what's, make sure it's, it's up to date, check your beneficiaries on your accounts. It's a good time just to check or refresh those things. Secondly, and this is really nothing to do with business, but if you don't know what's going to happen to you when you die, if you don't know about heaven, or if you don't think that you're a Christian or that you're saved or that you know Jesus, there's never been a better time than right now to know those type of things. I know we're a financial company, but we do have a very faith-based background. And as the leader of this company, I want us to have a faith-based background. And so I know some people tell you don't mix religion and business, but I, I think that's crazy. We love our clients and we love everyone out there listening to this. And we just want to make sure that you guys um, have had a chance to learn about Jesus, know about Jesus, and that, that you know you'll go to heaven when you pass. I don't know how people deal with death or go through this process that we're doing right now in the grieving of a lost loved one if you don't know what happens on the other end. So obviously, if you have questions about your finances or your beneficiaries or anything like that, please reach out to us. But if you have any questions of being a coming a Christian or what it means to be saved or knowing Jesus um, or the Bible or anything, if you're struggling with anything in that regard, we would love to be there for you on that. And honestly, I'd rather talk to you about those type of things as those are going to matter way more in the end than what your 401k looked like. And so if you have questions about those type of things, you can email uh, me at Keith at SteadfastWS, or you can call me at 832-506-9034. All those things will be off the record, obviously, but I would love to talk to you and pray with you um, and help you with those type of things. So that's the personal note. Let's kind of get back on track and, and talk what's going on in the financial industry right now. You can't turn on the TV right now without learning or hearing about this $3.5 trillion reconciliation bill. And today, as of today, Manchin came out and said he won't support anything over $1.5 trillion. So 
Um, as of right now, it looks like the Democrats are, are in trouble with this bill. But I think it's important to talk about because there is, I think, some misnomers or, mis- or confusion out there about the bill. So I went to the House Ways and Means Committee um, website. Uh, this is a bipartisan committee of Democrats and Republicans. This is and got some statistics from their website. So these are not my numbers. These are not Fox News's numbers. These are not CNN's numbers, Politico's. This is coming directly from the Ways and Means Committee. And what they're saying is that in 2023, nearly 5% of anyone that makes between zero and $50,000 will have a tax increase. 9% of people that make between $50,000 and $75,000 will have a tax increase. 18,000% of the people that make between 75 and 100,000 will have a tax increase. 35% between 100 and 200 and 60% between 200 and 500. So I know that the, the talking point out there was if you make less than 400,000 and by the way taking withdrawals out of an IRA counts as income because that is that's ordinary income. It counts as ordinary income. So those will count against this number won't face any tax increases. But according to the ways and and means committee, that's not true. And that doesn't take into the effect or the fact that we're already experiencing a 5% tax in the form of inflation right now. Inflation is a tax. You can buy less today with your money than you could buy this time last year. It doesn't matter how it's taxed, whether it's increasing price of goods because of inflation due to a massive printing of money, or they just take it directly out of your account, they're taking your purchasing power away. So we've already experienced a 5% tax increase this year. And they're saying by 2023, depending on where you are, it could be anywhere from you know 60% of you will experience a larger one. So let's go out a little bit, a little bit farther. What happens if we wait till 2031? Well, things only get worse is what they say for the middle class over time. Nearly 80% of people that make between 20,000 and 500,000 will see a tax increase between by, by 2031. And more than two thirds of people earning between 100 and 200,000 will experience a tax increase. And by the way, if inflation doesn't slow down and the Fed wants 2% annual inflation, which I don't think they should try to do that, that that's not really the point of the conversation right now. If you have 2% annual inflation in 10 years, you lose 20% of your purchasing power. I'm not sure why the Fed is involved in that, but neither here nor there. If there is inflation, right, you're going to have to take larger withdrawals to buy what you can buy today, right? So if you're living up 80,000 today, by 2031, you're going to be living off over 100,000 if you want to keep the same lifestyle that you have. And guess what? They're going to be taxing you more. So then you're going to have to pull out even more of your retirement money to live the same lifestyle. So you have inflation plus higher taxes. And you can see when you add these things, you really get squeezed on your retirement income. So elections have consequences. Elections have consequences. And, you know, when you vote for people, whether it's this or anything else, there could be, there's good and bad things that can happen. And one of the things that, that a lot of people are concerned about and we're seeing go into fruition right now is they want to raise taxes on everybody. And they also want to uh, limit the amount of money you can pass on to your heirs tax-free. They're also trying to limit what's called the backdoor Roth conversion, which is where you take a traditional IRA 
If you can't contribute to a Roth, what you do is you contribute to a traditional IRA, and then down the line, you can convert that to a Roth. They're trying to get rid of that as well. The reason they want to get rid of that is if they're going to raise taxes on you, they want to be able to tax you more in the future when the taxes get higher. And one of the ways to do that is they do not let you convert to a Roth now. So elections have consequences. There's a lot of stuff going on. If you don't know what the new tax bill that they're proposing would do to you or what it would do to your taxes, we have an unbelievable software system. It's put in a lot of the changes that they're proposing. We could look at your current tax, your last 1040. We could uh, scan that into our system and see what it would look like with the new tax provisions. See if there would be a large impact on you and what options do we have to mitigate that? right? Nothing's been passed in the law yet, but I know they're trying to do a lot of things. So really, um, now is the time. You know, it's, it's doing nothing is making a decision that what you have right now is what you need, right? So I, I would advise everyone, whether it's with us or anyone else that you're working with, to go find out what these tax laws would do to your retirement accounts or to your future and see if there's any options where you can make changes to lower your overall tax footprint. That really leads us into to the conversation uh, for our guest today. So as I mentioned, elections have consequences, and we have what I believe is a very, very important election uh, coming up in Cyprus or the Cypher area. And so today I've asked Lucas Scanlon. He works for Nudesic, been in Cyprus since 2012, a one child married and running for position. We're seat seven on the Cypher ISD school board uh, to jump on here and talk a little bit about this upcoming election on November 2nd. And what are some of the issues that are at play? As you know, I have two young kids that are about to enter um, the school, the schooling age. My son will go into kindergarten next year. And over the last 12 to 18 months, I've really been diving deeper into what's going on with school districts, with everything with COVID and all the other issues. And and where do I want to put my kids and what's being taught to them and what's uh, happening? And I had the privilege to meet Lucas and some of the other individuals that are running for the, the board of trustees at an event a couple of weeks ago. And so I asked him just to jump on here for 10 or 15 minutes uh, to talk about this election because uh, it's, it's, it's extremely important to me. And I, I think if you live in the Cypher ISD area, that it, that it should be extremely important to you. So Lucas, tell us, why is this campaign so important? And thank you for being on here. Thank you very much. This campaign is important because it affects our kids and it affects our community. It is the, it's the first line of opportunity for us to have the values that the community has reflected in how our schools run. The school board of trustees is responsible for governing the school district of Cypher ISD. They are a elected set of volunteer positions. And the objective that we have as a school board is to help our school district run well. We are implementing policy. We are designing culture, and we are supporting our administrators and the superintendent in attaining excellence in certain things, but most importantly, the outcome of quality learning for our kids and a good return on investment for our taxpayers. So we need to make sure that the people that care about our children, care about the quality of our community, who moves here, how well our children, frankly, behave and how well they take advantage of opportunities presented to them. A lot of that is done at the school level. And it's a partnership and it should be a partnership with our parents. And we want to see those kinds of values embodied at the school board. 
So it's a very important race. It's not something that it's not something that should be trivialized. And many of us, and myself as well, before I had kids, you know, the school board was an afterthought. I was like, who's that? Do I care? And now that I have a daughter, it is something that I realized impacts my family directly. Right. And I think you mentioned at the event that I was at that only about 4% of people end up in voting in this election because it's like an off-cycle election, right? So we're not expecting a big turnout. So your vote could have even a much larger impact than you probably previously thought it could. And you also mentioned something that there's 800,000 students where, I mean, how like the Cypher ISD, how big is it? Is it the, I think you said 800. No, it's a smaller number than that. But okay. Cypher ISD is the third largest school district in the state of Texas. It has been ranging between 114,000 to 116,000. It's expected to continue to grow. You know, you don't have to be in Cypher ISD very long to go look out on the Grand Parkway and see Bridgeland popping up and other communities popping up. So it's going to continue to grow and to build. So we have one of the very largest school districts in Texas. And with that comes all kinds of new challenges, right? How do you handle school growth? What happens to a budget that's based purely on the homes that are in the area and how much property value is there? It raises all kinds of interesting questions. So the school board has to understand how to interact with the community, how to be accountable to the community, and be very connected to the parents and the taxpayers. Yeah. So you touched on a few subjects there, but what would you say? I mean, if you had to pick two or three core issues, right, that are at stake, maybe some contrasting issues of where you think we should be going versus where we are, what would you say that those might be that some that you think would resonate with parents or, or people that live in the area? I think one of the larger issues that are really at stake is that we need to build a great education system. But with that, specifically at the school board level, means there's a community feedback loop. There is information that is given by the community that's received by the school board. And then the community can see evidence that they've been listened to, they've been paid attention to, and they see the, the fruit of their labors and they see the value that's being extended down to their kids. So what we have today is that the school board is very much at arm's length to the community itself. The school board members, there's three different positions up this year for re-elections, positions five, six, and seven. Cumulatively, they've been on the board for about 60 longer than I've been alive. And that raises a question of why are those three in particular, why have they been there for almost on average about 20 years across a lot of them? That's an interesting fact. And not one of them has a child that's actually in school right now in Cypher ISD. That raises a different question. So when we think about the notion of we want our school board to be connected to our community. We need our community to be able to provide feedback. Well, the first level of feedback is your kid comes home, honey, how was your day? And it, you're going to find out things uh, if your child is in school that you wouldn't know any other way. And you're going to find out things that they're dealing with in the culture. You know, what some kids saw on TikTok yesterday and did something dumb today. You, you have to help your child manage those new things that are today issues that they weren't there 20, you know, 20 years ago. So we need to build out a new accountability mechanism. I believe the three incumbents that are there, they have set in place. And I do management consulting. I lead a technology and consulting firm. And so my team specifically guides on business strategy and transformation and those kinds of things. And part of it's organizational change management. When I attended our school board meetings, I see clearly that 
the policies that they have put in place on purpose reduce the feedback from the community. They are arm's length from their customer, the parents, the taxpayers, and the children. That feedback mechanism is not there. It took me all of 30 seconds to see it. If we're going to restore trust in the fact that, look, we're paying for a service. We want our children to have a great education. Well, we hope that message comes across. And if we say we would like to see change, we hope that message is received. Right now, it's not. So going forward, what we need to have is a school board that creates mechanisms for parents and taxpayers to participate. People that care about certain issues, they need to have a mechanism to get involved. They need to be able to understand an issue that's critical to them, formulate that, package it up, make it concise, make it something that is well-founded and thought through and relevant. And then that information is looked at very hard by the school board. And then they take action on it. And then the people that participated in it, they understand why the school board reached the decision it did. Today, that's not the case. And we need to get there. Right. You don't, you don't always have to do the parent's suggestion, but they want to know that they're being heard and that it was at least looked at, diagnosed, and then get some feedback, even if they don't do it on why they're not doing it. They might not like the feedback, but at least they're being engaged with. I saw in the news today in Virginia, Terry McAuliffe said that parents should have no say in what's taught to their kids. <laughs> and, um, I was dumbfounded mm. when I heard mm. and it was uh, on the news about what they're, how far we've gotten of trying to keep parents away from knowing what's going on with their kids in schools and the control that they would not want to have over our kids and, and, and without the parents say, and it, it is, it's frightening. And like I said, I have two young kids, you know, that's what he's issued hard. So, okay. Well, I'm hearing well, you I want to, I want to hold one on a point that you just said. And one of the core issues and so I went to Harvard and part of what I saw there is how the very much left operates. And so what they'll do is that they want to encroach and extend power to try to take over new areas and new boundaries and establish that as the air quotes, I'm doing air, air quotes, the norm, right? Mm-hmm. So what is the norm? Well, the norm should be parents have full control over what their child engages in, full stop. And when we send our kids to school, it's understanding that the mission of the school is to foster excellence in academics, athletics, and the arts. If we're not doing those things, then what are we doing? Why are we, why is our child being engaged in an activity that asks us about questions about gender or questions about, you know, racial tension? Those topics, those topics are not for an educator to sit and pontificate on. It's not. That's not the role of the teacher. They signed up to teach math, reading, writing, social studies, the arts, or athletics. Those are the focus and the core objective of the school. It's not to socially indoctrinate our kids, and that's where it's headed. And so when you hear sound bites from other teachers and when you watch it in the news, recognize that's the fight that's coming to our door. And the reason me and other conservative candidates are standing up is that we don't want that fight to win. We want to maintain a strong line that says, look, we're just going to focus. We don't have to all politically agree. Let's just take the politics out of it and let our kids focus on academics, athletics, and the arts. Let's let that be the mission. All this other stuff, it creates noise and honestly, division. I sat in front of an 18-year-old girl last year, or pardon me, this year, she came to one of our meetings. She was there with her mom. And she talked about three years ago, no kids in school had any idea what politics were. That wasn't a conversation. They didn't have this notion of black, white, none of it. It wasn't even a conversation. But today, she realized uh, the teacher asked a question and opened in the class, really kind of put her on the spot. And all of a sudden, the whole class treated her different. 
Why is a teacher engaging in conversations about race? That's not their role. And so the role of the teacher needs to focus on the core job. Let's get politics out. And where we see, you know, agendas trying to push their way in, we need to do be very diligent in making sure that we understand exactly what the message is intended to be. And then we watch it closely to make sure it does not shift. So, so how do you do that? Do you do that by teacher evaluation, right? There's no teacher union and Cypher, right? So how do, how do you go about that? How do you about go about making sure that those things aren't sneaking in or being pushed upon students? Because I know there's the, the camera issue is a big issue. And there's pros and cons of that. I don't want to spend our time solely on that issue. But sure. I mean, what could you do immediately, right? Cameras are something that would take years probably to get it done. But like, what can we do immediately to make sure those things aren't getting to our kids? Well, I think one, it's the right work culture. And so I, I deal with companies that need to create value all the time. I'm really close to the idea of the culture of a company or an organization indicates how much stuff it actually gets done. And when we think about the work culture of our teachers right now, they have no voice. If they're not very much left, if they're not very ideologically aligned left, they can't speak their mind. They have to tow a, they have to put up with information that is mostly leftist in, in perspective in a political worldview, but if they don't share that opinion, it's not well-received. We need to have mechanisms in place where all teachers, regardless of political view, can really express, I, I need to be able to conduct my classroom well. Right now, they're not being supported. So, you know, a couple of ideas. What can we do about teachers being able to own the classroom. And that's another core issue for the campaign, I, th I think is really key, is that we're responsible for educating our kids. Well, for that to be done, that means we have 50 minutes, five zero, in order to deliver a message to our kids. We've got to explain, present a topic, explain it, and be able to have closure on it. If we have disruption, if we have uh, distraction in the classroom, are we getting the value? No, we're not. So how do we enable our teachers to really own the culture in the classroom? Well, so we need to be able to foster a culture at the school board level, encourage our teachers and empower them to be able to manage a classroom well, so that as disruption occurs, they can, they can provide discipline that's timely, that is meaningful to that kid and get them back in line. And if they're really disruptive, they do something else for a little bit but they don't get rewarded for it. And when the teachers feel like they've got the ability to own their classroom, now the instruction starts flowing from a ability to understand is information encroaching that is kind of over the bounds. That comes down to the school board where you may not be aware, but most of our curriculum and many of the policies are published by outside consulting firms or organizations. And the school board or the, is the group that has to look at that and understand what they want. So the school board has to dig deep. They've got to understand the assumptions and they've got to pay attention. I, you know, last year we had a policy called no place for hate and people look at it on the surface and go, oh yeah, thumbs up, no bullying. Yeah, that's great, like right? That. Like that. That makes a lot of sense. In uh, September of this month, September 15th, a, a pledge was sent out to Bridgeland High School. And in that pledge, it said, I will not discriminate against, and it listed 15 isms, transgender ism, bisexual ism, and the list goes on. Why is that conversation happening at the high school level administered by a teacher? That's a very interesting yeah. thing 
But if you follow the end of the road of No Place for Hate that was published by the Anti-Defamation League, you're going to find out what their agenda is. And I've got documentation published by them where they actually make it a point that they want to introduce this idea of gender identity to elementary school kids, to elementary school kids. And that's where I'm talking about. We need a conservative voice on our school board that's going to toe the line and prevent indoctrination from getting into our schools because that's where it's coming. That's the fight. And we've got to make sure that we're paying attention and we're reflecting the values of the community. Right now, we're not. No doubt about it. Lucas, how can um, people find out more information about your campaign or the election? My website address is simply lucasscanlon.com. And so you can find that site. You can go to my Facebook page, Lucas for Cypher ISD. You can learn more about the campaign by going to cypher or cfisd.net and you will see that's the cypher website and you can understand some of the issues there and you'll see the full list of candidates. So my encouragement is to take a look at the candidates, the Republican party, they've issued who they're endorsing. Um, take a look at all the candidates. You'll see who the conservative voices are across all seats, seats five, six, and seven. I've spoken with all the conservative voices, every single one of them. And I can tell you that across them, we're here for the same reasons, largely the same reasons I just described. We're all conservative parents. All of us have kids in the district and we're all very focused on making sure that our kids have a good place to grow up. We don't want leftist agenda and and frankly, propaganda coming into our schools. That's a distraction from our objective and we don't need it. And then when is the election? So when can people start voting and when is the end voting end? The final day is November 2nd. We have early voting between October 15th through the 28th. Perfect. And, you know, I would encourage anyone listening to this to vote. I'm not saying your views have to line up with our views, but if you want to be able to teach your kids what you think they should learn, right, and you don't want anyone else imparting their views on your children, these elections are important, right? I know school board elections kind of just come and go, right? 4% is just such a small number. Um, but I would encourage everyone out there to vote. Go to the website. Go look at the other can- candidates. Uh, make up your own decision and, and get involved. We, we encourage everyone to get involved with your kids and your kids' education. It'll make for a much better future for our country and, and for our city. So, Lucas, I want to thank you for your time. I want to thank our listeners out there for listening. Again, my name is Keith Beggs. I'm the host of the My Two Cents podcast. You can reach me at 832-506-9034, or you can email me at Keith at steadfastws. Thank you. Thank you for listening to My Two Cents with Keith Beggs. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. All securities discussed are offered and provided through Steadfast Financial Planning, LLC. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Steadfast Wealth Strategies. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor and or qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. This podcast is not intended to provide specific investment, financial planning, tax, or legal advice. It is intended for educational purposes only. Please consult your tax advisor, financial advisor, or legal professional for specific advice on your specific situation.